Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I'm the host, Eric Acker. I am, of course, hosting today with my lovely assistant, Karen. <laughs> Hi. Who's graciously enough to do this on Valentine's Day. Yeah, well, that's fine. Uh, dinner's in the oven. Anyway, so our, our week... We're recording this on Monday, so we've already started a whole new week of inter- internal medicine. We finished off pulmonology last week, so we wanted to kind of spend a little bit more time on pulmonology and then kind of move forward from there. Yeah. Um, so my last week was in the clinic. As I kind of, I think I kind of mentioned last week uh, during the last podcast that we were in the clinic, so we're back to seeing patients, back to seeing COPD asthma, allergies, and then some kind of the odd primary care patient. So it was, a, uh, I don't know, it was it was back to that. I, I didn't hate it as much as, I didn't, I don't want, hate's a strong word. I, I didn't dislike <laughs> it as much as I did the first week. The first week I kind of, I felt a little bit bored. And this last week I felt like I had a little bit better grasp of the material. I was getting a little bit more feedback from the preceptor and I had a little bit more work and responsibility. So it was a little bit more enjoyable to be in clinic. Not, I wasn't in love with clinic, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Well, and you made a point to go in a little bit early and kind of pre-round on the patients that you were going to see and then do the same thing at lunch for the patients you'd see after lunch. So I think that made kind of a smoother transition throughout your day and you didn't feel behind before you saw a patient. You yeah. weren't trying to figure out what, was, what, they, what you were seeing them for before while you were in the room with them. You know, I was trying to balance the efficiency of an interview and the smoothness of an interview of a patient. And what I mean by that is that you have some providers that will go into the room and they will immediately turn on the computer and start looking through the chart and then, you know, then look at the patient and go, okay, so what's going on today? Like, so you have that kind of awkward five minutes, so it feels like five, ten minutes of utter silence while the physician is looking over the chart and the patient is just looking at him and, you know, like, okay, what, <laughs> when, when is this appointment actually going to start? And I don't like that. I don't, that's not a style I particularly like because I feel it feels really awkward and I'm okay with some silence and between people, like if you can stand in the group and be quiet, you can have a, you know, it's, I'm okay with that a little bit, but I'm not as okay with going into the room with the patient and then starting to look at the chart. Because I feel like the patient expects me to know that information when I walk in. So this was a, a way to kind of marry the two. Where I walk in the room and I had an idea of what was going on with the patient. And it didn't involve me spending extra time between appointments trying to figure it out. I had already written down some quick notes early in the morning or just after lunch. And so I was kind of able to move a little bit faster. I was able to focus in on, okay, why are they here? What were they here for last time? So what am I trying to accomplish? Am I just checking up to see if their obstructive sleep apnea is controlled? Or am I checking on diabetic progression? Or what, you know, like I, I would have an idea of what I was doing before I entered the room. 
and that was helpful because you can kind of pinpoint and hone in on your your uh, interview. Well, and that's helpful too because, like, most times when you go see the doctor, you have about ten to fifteen minutes of FaceTime with the doctor, if not less. And so, as a doctor, you are going to be unless you have your own practice, you're going to be kind of restricted to those those time constraints, right? So you need to make the most of the time that you have with your patient. Yeah. And there was an ulterior motive as well, because the first week I was getting done at like 6.30, so, you know, six, about, about 6.30, and that the physician was waiting <laughs> to go home until I left and finished my notes. So the added benefit was if I had pre-rounded on these patients, the appointment would go a little bit faster. I would be able to get out of the room and type up a quick note while my physician was in a different patient's room so that by the end of the day, I didn't have so many notes to close out and that we can go home earlier. So that was the, the grand idea that, that, that basically if I could give him a little bit of his day back, that maybe he'd be a little bit happier because I'm at the end of the day, I'm looking for a really good review, <laughs> and I'm looking for a lot of rec recommendations. So I wanted this week to go well. <laughs> I wanted it to go really smoothly, and Friday was kind of that culmination where I was trying to get to that point where he would look at me and go, oh man, this kid, you know, this kid was a little rough on week one, but you know, by week three, he's, he's smooth sailing. And I got kind of glimpses of that, like there was like times when he would come into the room after I had given my presentation and you can tell that he I felt like he was trusting my presentation information more because previously like he would basically re-ask all the questions and this last week it wasn't on every patient but every so often he would he would just confirm certain points but he wasn't re-asking all the questions he wasn't redoing the entire appointment he was just Okay, and how long have you had that? And it's been two years since your last CPAP. Well, you know, like those sort of questions. Where he was just kind of reconfirming, and you can kind of tell he was building his clinical picture based on what the patient was saying, and then what I had presented. Again, Friday was kind of rougher. I had a few patients that were kind of more on the order of like, we're tired of answering the same questions. You know, you guys have us fill out a questionnaire about why we're here. The VA has us fill out questions about why we're going to go to this clinic. Why don't you just read the notes? <laughs> and so that was a little awkward because sometimes you go into a room, you just, I just want to hear it from you. What's, what's your story? Because I, I can read the, the doctor's notes and I can get a pretty good picture. But sometimes there's like a little detail here and there that is missed or maybe they forgot to mention it in a previous appointment. I, I just want to hear it one more time. And sometimes you don't get a great timeline in other doctor's notes. So sometimes I want to hear how the constellation of symptoms has arisen over a certain period of time so that I can maybe associate them with different things. I don't know. So that I know that annoys some patients and I got I got two back to back patients who did not really want to talk to me. <laughs> they, and when, once I introduced myself as a third year medical student, they were all like, Oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> I can't like I get they like I can't even like they were they were just like read the notes. We don't wanna we don't wanna talk more about this and it's like okay and so then ensued the five minutes of awkward silence while I try to pull through VA notes and look through it and then every now and then be like okay so on this date you had this 
Okay, <laughs> just just confirming. So that's that's all well and good. And so like, I'm really focusing on Friday because that was the day in my mind. Like it was the day to leave that last impression. You know, it's always first impressions and last impressions. And sometimes in the middle, you can make a an impact, but usually it's the first impression and the last impression that you leave. And so I was trying to make Friday good, and I had this patient. I had kind of going a couple sets back here. I worked on my stethoscope because I, I think in past episodes I've mentioned that I have this eco eko attachment eco core attachment to my stethoscope that makes it amplify sound so I can hear things better and also record sound so I can listen to it later. And I was doing that and I was having some struggle. I was struggling a little bit of really picking out certain sounds and I kind of felt like in some cases I was just getting a lot of just noise and in all fairness like some of the you know obviously this is a patient population that's rather unhealthy and sometimes you get patients who are like you know bmi of 40 and so the lungs are in there but they're <laughs> and we don't ask the patients to take off their coats and so you have like layers of clothes a few good thick layers of tissue that you have to kind of listen through so all this to basically say, I was I was struggling a little bit with a even with better technology to hear things that I was wanting to hear, and so I went back to the stethoscope's user manual, which you know I, you, I, I'm a guy. Sometimes I don't look at those. I just kind of like oh plug and play, turn it on, and here we go. And I found out that there's actually settings that I could adjust to have it cancel certain noises so it only focuses on pulmonology noise you know lung sounds it can cancel noises so it only focuses on heart sounds so once i figured that out it, things got a lot easier but then on friday i was listening to some patients uh, heart sounds and it was pretty i was in the upper left sternal border and it was a pretty obvious systolic murmur it was almost hollow systolic so for maybe those who haven't seen it or heard of it that's basically like it lasts for just about the entire portion of systole and this uh, this was just like this is a boneheaded thing and in my mind i was thinking hollow systolic even though when i went back and listened to it later after the appointment it didn't quite last the entire systolic period but anyway i heard it it was pretty long. It wasn't like a mid-systolic click. It was like like a, a blowing sound. And so I'm talking to the patient and she's saying, Oh yeah, I've had I've been told about this murmur before, but she doesn't she doesn't know what it is. It's been worked up before. But again, she doesn't know what kind of murmur it is. And I'm being a genius and going, it's a VSD or a ventricular septal defect. And then I'm I'm drawing her a picture <laughs> about how VSDs are, what what VSDs are, and that the louder it is doesn't necessarily mean the the worst it is. Like if it's a a small little septal defect that's allowing flow from the right ventricle, left ventricle to the right ventricle, it can be really loud. But that's because it's like there's a lot of turbulent blood flow. But if it was larger, it would be a lot quieter. But that's obviously more concerning. And so I'm doing this whole educational thing for this patient. And I go out and I talk to my preceptor. And as I'm talking to him, his first comment is like, septal def eventual septal defect being discovered in a 60-year-old woman? Like, that seems like a little late in life to be able to find a, <laughs> a septal defect. And 
then it kind of dawned on me as well. Like I wasn't listening in the right spot to really hear the septal defect the best. And so that got me thinking and I re looked at, at the stuff. And the, of course, my preceptor went in, he did the exam, he listened as well. He, he also heard the murmur, so it was good. It wasn't just my <laughs> me making up stuff. It was actually a murmur there. And he had he kind of talked to the patient about it. He didn't name it to the patient. He just said, oh, yeah, septal defect. But, you know, like, not septal defect. He said, like, murmurs there. It's systolic. Talk, listen to the patient talk about how the primary care doctor has heard it and has worked it up. And then he kind of moved on to the pulmono pulmonology component of the appointment. So... And then, of course, afterwards, he was like, well, it wasn't holosystolic, so what what else would it could it be? And I was like, oh, gosh, it could be an aortic stenosis, um, could be a regurge, <laughs> you know, like a tricuspid or mitral regurge. And so, like, okay, I, I, I got it wrong a little bit, but at least I was, you know, at least I heard it, I guess. Um, so, anyway, that Friday wasn't going particularly wasn't going particularly great. <laughs> it, as far as like trying to impress your preceptor, like I just just not knocking it out of the park. I think I had two patients where I was going through the interview and I, I, I had even looked over like the referral notes and everything and I just, for the life of me, couldn't figure out like, why are you here? Like, why are you seeing a pulmonologist? Like... You don't have a cough. You don't have any reason. You don't have short of breath. You, you don't have asthma. You don't have family history of emphysema. You're not a smoker. Like, like, what are we seeing you for exactly? Like, so I, after like lots of questions and like, okay, and I'll, I'll, we'll kind of work up what we got. The preceptor would come in and he would ask a few questions. And after some long pauses, like the person that came with the patient would be like, oh, I think it's. Uh, sleep apnea and it's like what well you never said anything about sleep apnea <laughs> like, <laughs> what's going on here and anyway it, it was interesting to have those and like that's obviously not a great situation for me because I, I i'm supposed to be asking all these questions and trying to figure out what's what's going on and i never got any inkling or inclination that this patient had a problem with sleep uh <laughs> like nothing so it was um it's definitely unique, not not a not a great way to end the week, really. Um, I think the only saving grace is I think my last patient. I I think we we nailed I I kind of nailed the diagnosis a, a bit. It was not a pulmonology issue, and when I presented it to the preceptor, I think I kind of presented it in that light of like there's all these cardiac things going on. There's this one thing that I think is making the patient nervous, <laughs> and it could be related to pulmonology, but like she doesn't have any of the real symptoms that would make me think that she has COPD or emphysema or asthma or you know whatever pulmonology issue that we're looking at. So I think this is like she's not she's not supposed to be here <laughs> i think she needs to go back to cardiology and and he was like yeah i think you're right and so he goes and talks to the patient you know we do a, a little bit of workup so obviously we we can can't just clinically kind of write off the patient so the patient doesn't feel like she's just being ignored and that was also maybe one maybe takeaway i kind of got from this this uh, rotation 
uh, take it or leave it, whether this is good or bad. This is just kind of an observation. But like when a patient comes in and they have an issue, it seems like a lot of physicians would rather do something and do it to a high degree than do nothing. So that's kind of an example. If you come in and you've been coughing a lot and you have chest pain because you've been coughing for three weeks constantly and it's chondral cost, cost, uh, costochondritis, inflammation of the, the, um, the sternal costal joint essentially where the ribs meet the sternum, they can kind of get inflamed after a lot of coughing. Well, you could probably just treat that with NSAIDs, <laughs> but because you have come into the doctor, there's kind of a notion, I think, in a lot of medicine that you may not be, your patients may not feel like you're doing them any good if you just turn them around and say, just take some over-the-counter Tylenol or ibuprofen and go home. They're going to feel like they've been taken care of if you give them like a Medro pack. Which is well, <laughs> well, I don't know what a meter pack is, but it's like an anti—it's like an anti-inflammatory oh. medication. Well, it might also be like they want to be better safe than sorry. They don't want a lawsuit. Yeah, you know, and I think that's fair. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's uh, this is a good or bad. It's kind of use your judgment on this, I guess. But even like in the patient case where it seemed like it was pretty clear cut that we're not looking at a pulmonology issue. We still did spirometry on the patient just to just to see how the lungs were functioning. This wasn't a full-on pulmonary function test. This was just spirometry just to see, you know, if there was anything obviously going on. Just to, again, point to the patient and say, you're, you're doing fine. <laughs> as far as we can tell, we don't see any major issue with your lungs. But you could make a case that you could have just sent the patient home and said, this is not a pulmonology issue. Go home. But at least by running the test, maybe the patient goes home thinking, at least they checked. So I mean, there's a trade-off there. Like, you know, did you just do a, a needless procedure that you knew it was going to be negative anyway? Or did you try, did, did, by doing that procedure, did you instill confidence in the patient that they are on, on the right treatment path? Well, I think a lot of, I don't know, I think there's, how do I say this? There's a lot of uh, doctors that can seem to f to think that they are better than their patient or smarter, smarter than their patient, which in I mean, some cases you are or you're smarter in a different way. Um, but I think a lot of times you, as, as a patient, you can walk away feeling like, well, I'm never going to see that doctor again, or I, I don't feel like he actually heard me or did anything. And I think that's kind of a, by doing something, you are saying, I heard you. I am, I'm going to rule this out for you because you are worried about this, even if I don't yeah, think that it is. My kind suspicion of. level for this is really low, but I heard that this complaint, I heard how you're feeling. And I think it may be even a part of that has to do with if you work in the hospital or even just anywhere in general, and you hear patients talk about other physicians that they've seen, especially if they feel like they've just been kicked around and they haven't they didn't bounced around from one physician to the next and nobody's done anything for them. And they'll even say, like, I, we've, I talked to my uh, 
my cardiologist about this and they didn't do anything. They didn't see anything. And then suddenly this happened and like, they're obviously dissatisfied and they're going to be more dissatisfied if you don't do anything, even if you like, even if it's justifiable, like I don't want to put you through a needless medical procedure, even if one is as harmless as spirometry, because it would save you money if you just don't do this <laughs> and you probably don't have this problem. It would save you money to not go through this procedure. But if by not doing it, you might, I don't know, you might incur a lawsuit. You might incur just them feeling like you don't care. You don't, you, you didn't hear them. You didn't hear the complaint. And then maybe by doing it, you prevent them from going to the next provider and say, Oh, this priest, this doctor saw me. He did nothing for me. And well, especially here where a lot of practices are private practices, like word of mouth is, is a thing. Yeah. You, you really do want to treat your patients well. You want to have a good rapport with them. You, and I think kind of education is probably your best route with that. Like explain to your patients why you're doing what you're doing. You can even say, I don't, I don't think that there's a problem, but we're going to do this just to rule it out, to, to ease your state of mind about it. And then you can go on to the next specialist knowing that, that we, we did, we we did, did all, all we could on this side. And I think there's also a, a flip side to this. Like it's like in all things medicine, there's always like the extremes so on one end. You can do nothing, do no interventions, no labs, no tests. And on the other end, you can throw everything at the patient and see what and see what sticks. And I think there's obviously there's pitfalls on all these extremes. If you if you throw every lab at the patient and you find something abnormal, you're going to have to figure out why it's abnormal. Even if it's like normal for that patient to be a little abnormal, you're going to have to try to explain it, and that can cause a whole lot more problems. Plus, there's also the um, issues you run into with like Medicare where you're doing pointless labs and and it could be considered fraud because you're charging all these things for things that you actually do not need and so you can run into some legal issues on some of this stuff too uh, so I think there's like a there's a balance that somewhere and I'm not saying I know what the balance is I'm not a physician I'm not I'm not there yet I don't operate under my own license or anything like that but I'm just saying like it was an interesting perspective to see the doctor do that and it wasn't something I disagreed with it was just okay well he he did something to assuage the patient's fear that something was wrong with them and while he could probably have just as easily said there's nothing wrong with you from a pulmonary standpoint go back to see your cardiologist and he would have been probably well justified in that statement at least doing spirometry and trying to rule out a few things at least I think made the patient probably feel like something got done and we now know for sure it's not a lung issue. We have a test that says so. It's not just clinical findings, which you can do a lot of things in just clinical findings. And you do need some tests to confirm diagnosis for certain things. But anyway, that was just an interesting observation I kind of found along the way. Uh, and as always with the end of a rotation, uh, I try to get as much feedback. I, I try to get feedback periodically along the way of any rotation because like, you don't really want to ask for feedback only on the last day of your rotation because there's absolutely no way you can fix <laughs> if your feedback is bad there's nothing you can do to fix it so i do try to tip, i ask for feedback periodically throughout the week not every day to be you know i don't want to be annoying 
but like end of the first week, okay, what can I be doing better? What do, you know? What would make your life easier? What can I change? And my preceptor was pretty good about giving me constructive criticism, or at least going, okay, well, I need you to do more on your charts, and I need you now to you, you're doing good on the HPI, but now I need you to do the assessments. I need you to write the plans, and I need you to associate them correctly. And so, getting that feedback is, I think, helpful at least as far as helping your position out. And then also it's opportunity for him to say, ooh, I would rather you not do this with the patients. Or <laughs> I never have gotten that feedback. But if you know, if you accidentally, you're not doing something intentionally or you're doing something that the physician seems to dislike, it's better to find out that out earlier and correct, course correct, than to do it, do something that annoys them the entire time <laughs> and then find out at the, you know, either at the end of your rotation when you ask for your feedback or, uh, a couple of weeks later when they submit your feedback on the, cause they, they do submit a, a little questionnaire about how they think you did. And so you don't want to find out then cause that's, that's stuck in your record. <laughs> and so in some ways I, I, this is a, maybe a strategy I use and maybe you want to use it. I don't know. And it's kind of, I, I kind of say it this way and you can take it or leave it, but it's poisoning the jury a little bit because my last interaction I have with my preceptor is I ask them, how did this rotation go? What could I have done better? If anything, you know, just let me know what, you know, how did I do this rotation? You know what, just in the spirit of learning, just let me know. And so they have the opportunity right there and then to tell you whatever they think. So I, I say it like it's poisoning the jury because a lot of times they don't, I know it might sound awful. Some, some people don't like confrontation. Nobody really, not a lot of people like confrontation. So hopefully they tell you if you're doing something bad and then you can grow. But sometimes like at the end they can just say, Oh, you did a good job. And so they generally, that's the last thing they told you. And they, people tend to want to be consistent and so if you get a really positive feedback in the last day, it's pretty unlikely you're going to be surprised when they submit their evaluation of you. Like, it's unlikely, I feel like it would be unlikely this preset is going to submit a bad evaluation for me. So it's kind of poisoning the jury because, like, you know, now, he's, now he knows he's told me I did a good job. <laughs> and so when he goes to fill out the evaluation, he's not going to be like, oh, actually, he sucked. <laughs> like, and... Because he's going to go, well, I told him he did a good job. So why would, why would I tell him he did a good job and then tell him he sucked? Like, it, it, he's probably not going to do that. So at least you know at the end of it, you, you kind of lock in your you lock in your evaluation a little bit. So it's, a, it's a kind of a good strategy. And then again, you're leaving a, a, again, you're leaving a last impression that you actually want to learn and you want to do well. Instead of just like, okay, peace. You know, it's been fun. Good times. Bye. Like you're, you're leaving a good impression that you still value their opinion, even though you are done with them. Like you're, you're not coming back. You're not, you're not doing another rotation with them. You're, you're essentially done. So the only thing left is that evaluation. And I don't know. In my, my opinion, it's good to just ask for the feedback. It looks professional. It looks like you're, you're an eager student that wants to learn and grow. And it leaves a good impression, and that should translate to a good evaluation. Should yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, you could be surprised, you, you know. So not, I'm not saying these are foolproof strategies. Uh, <laughs> um, and then lastly, this is something that 
I'm doing as well. And again, take it or leave it. I still have another year before I really get into match um, match season. Really less than a year now, like nine yeah. months. But this is obviously way too early to have someone write a letter of recommendation. But in my opinion, it's not too early to pick your letter writers and let them know that you're picking them. <laughs> and I, what I mean by that is like, I'm interested in internal medicine. And right now, if I had to like rank them, which one's going to come out on top of my, who, where I'm going to apply to you, it's probably going to be internal medicine. So my last preceptor, I felt like we had a good rapport. He kind of warmed up to, to me towards the end of the rotation. I felt like maybe we don't have the biggest personal connection, but I think he thought I was a decent student. And I think that he would probably write me a good letter. So I asked him. I asked him at the end, hey, would you mind, do you think, you think you'd be okay with writing me a letter of recommendation when the time came? It's not, I don't need it now. I don't need it for a couple months. Like, but when the time comes, do you think you'd be okay with writing me a letter of recommendation? And he said, yeah, sure. That would be fine. I can do that. And of course, then here's the follow. There's a logistics. Like, I think I mentioned last week, I didn't have his phone number. <laughs> so, like, that would be a problem. <laughs> if I came down to letter writing and be like, I don't actually know how to get in touch with this guy. Um, so that, and then it was like, okay, well, I don't have your phone number. Can I have your phone number so I can message you or call you when it's time to get that letter going? And he was actually surprised. Like, you don't have my number? <laughs> it's like, no, I haven't had your number all <laughs> the last three weeks. I only have the office number. And then, of course, just clarifying, like, do you prefer text or do you prefer phone calls? And in this case, he was like, I prefer text messages. Because, you know, people are busy and I, I don't like always answering the phone. So for me, I like texting better than I like calling in many cases. Well, I think too, <laughs> I think we've done a very good job of appreciating the staff as well as the doctor at the end of each rotation. We brought something, we brought something for just the office in general, typically cookies or whatnot. And then gotten something small for the doctor. And so you build a good rapport with the staff and the doctor. And the, the staff, I mean, they, it, they gossip. <laughs> Everybody uh -huh. gossips, right? Well, and, and you want to be also, remembered well. And these are also small practices. So like the physician is generally, he owns the entire practice. So he is personally hired or has some personal stake in all the employees. And so when you do something to make his staff happy, you kind of are making him happy as well. Like he's like, oh, all the staff had cookies, even though I didn't eat any cookies. They had it. They enjoyed it, and they were thankful for having it. And again, you're just again you're leaving a last a last impression. <laughs> and again, if it isn't just for you, it's for the next student down the line. So hopefully, you didn't screw it up. <laughs> the next student comes in. The staff goes, okay, I don't mind these Trinity students. They're, they're okay. They might be a little slow. They may not be the most efficient. They might eat, take up one of our rooms when we want to use it, but they're learning and they're not that bad people and we get cookies out of it. So like, <laughs> well, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And the other good thing about this rotation, which Eric hasn't mentioned, is it had a different uh, medical record system than he has used in the past. And he has... Uh, preceptor coming up in, I think, three weeks Yeah, um, that uses the same system and it's a little bit clunkier or a little bit harder to navigate than what he's used to. So it was kind of nice to get that, your feet in the water a little bit. 
in preparation for this next rotation yeah. that it has been, we've been told that it's a little bit more uh, intense. Yeah, and I, it, I could probably still be better at that medical record system, but that's, I think, exactly right. It's It's going to be a much more involved rotation. It's going to be a lot more uh, intense and quick, faster paced. So the more efficient I am working through the EHR, then the better, the more time I'll have for solving the other problems I have to do or doing all the other assignments I need to do. So hopefully efficiency will pay off somewhere <laughs> along the line, you know, like, but sometimes, you know, it also there's a double edge. So sometimes efficiency just means you, uh, I think the phrase I, I get, I got told, sorry, I'm going to backtrack. The phrase I get told is the reward for hard work is more hard work. And that was a, I think a quote from our a pharma pharmacy professor. <laughs> I think that's true to some extent. Like you can be really efficient, and if you're super efficient, they'll give you more work to do <laughs> to continue to be more efficient. So uh, we'll see. Double edged sword there. So I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to complain. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the time, and we have a couple different things that we can veer off and talk about. What would you? Because I don't think we are going to get it all in tonight. Just looking at our notes. So would you like to kind of talk about? Um, conversations we had with other students and their their opinions or their I think or would you like to talk about today or would I'll, you want to add talk today about and tomorrow? today and then if we have time we'll try to wrap up on big big picture. Um, so today we started the hospitalist rotation. Um, again, it's a three week deal. You get paired up with a hospitalist, and I think internally speaking, because these hospitalists work seven days on, seven days off, you get kind of shuffled around a little bit. You might have one hospitalist for three days and a different one for a day and then they I looked at my calendar I, I have like a different hospitalist every other day it seems like so you have the same hospitalist same, same for like four days and I have like Bootwalla and then I have a different one or the same back to the same one and so I, I move around a little bit um and that's fine you know you get a little bit of different flavor I guess uh for how they do things and how they handle and they they of course get their assignment so they have a certain number of patients that are assigned to them their service and then they this is day one for my preceptor so he now goes and sees all the patients for the first time this is his first time meeting a lot of these patients because he's been i guess he's been gone since uh middle of january he went on a big old vacation so he hasn't seen most of these patients before and so he's going around he's meeting the patients for the first time trying to get his feet under him and figure out what's going on because obviously some of these patients have been here for like two three weeks and so there's a lot of uh, medical documentation you kind of have to read up on to figure out from their ed admission to now like there's been a lot of things that have gone on they, uh, you, somebody doesn't stay two three weeks in the hospital for nothing like there's there's been some events <laughs> we, we got to catch up on and so and then from there, you can build a clinical picture. Then from there, you can figure out, like, hey, what are our goals here? What are we trying to do? You know, obviously, we don't want to keep a patient in the hospital indefinitely. Are we moving towards a sniff? Are we moving towards home? And what does that look like? When do we get there? For for people who are not aware of SNFs and ALFs, a SNF is a skilled nursing facility and an ALF is an assisted living facility. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Assist, uh, skilled nursing facilities are typically for people who need more direct care um you know they need physical therapy they need like i think the nursing ratio is a little bit different at sniffs than they are at alps yeah so alf is basically where you would go to 
live um, a sniff, you will eventually be transitioned. Most the most patients are you are to transition you out back home. Yeah, and so this that was kind of the nuts and the bolts of it. <laughs> how this rotation is going to work, uh, and today was. Pretty fast pace. I think generally they get done by noon, it seems like. Uh, and that was no exception for my preceptor. He, we went and saw all the patients, walked all over the hospital. I still have no idea where anything's at, but uh, <laughs> I know how to get to his office. And I know from there, I just need to follow him. But he's a, he's a, he seemed like a really good preceptor. One of the things that stuck out to me today was strategy in dealing with patients who have more mental health issues or mental health concerns. So like take, for example, someone who might have suicide ideation, you have to, there's different strategies of how you deal with a patient who is suicidal. And my preceptor has uh, very different strategies than what would, I think, intuitively pop into my mind. And again, I'm not saying he's doing anything wrong. He, how he handled his, this situation was incredible. Uh, Like he was able to, approached this topic very kind of confrontational in a way. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, it was like, how would you, like, all these years you've been trying to, you know, you've been hurting yourself and whatnot. You know, if you were going to really try to kill yourself, isn't there better ways to do it? That was kind of like the posed question. You know, how would you do it more efficiently was kind of, and then, listy like having them at the patient actually list off ways that would be more efficient and it was like i don't know i'm sitting i'm I'm of course a fly in the fly on the wall in the corner of the room i'm just like what is going on i've never i've never seen this this strategy before (laughs) but then he like he turns it around he approaches it from you know well why why can't your life be something that helps other people why can't you you know, look at it, why can't you look at something like this? Why don't we look at things like this? And it wasn't like, cheer up, you have, you don't have it that bad. It wasn't, you know, stop being depressed or anything like that. It wasn't, and that wasn't what would come innately to me either, but the, how he approached the topic was very unique and very ingenious, and I think it's something that he has developed over his years of being a physician, and obviously he was not, he's not a psych uh, doctor, but you did a really good job. I think by the time we left this room, the, the, the patient was smiling and laughing. And so I think we did a good job. I think he did a good job. Not we. I was, again, fly on the wall. didn't do anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, a, I think, a, a really good experience. Actually, I'm going to use that as a segue okay. to the other topic. Okay. Because I think that's, I think that's a, yeah. a worthwhile. So the other topic is more broad. <laughs> and so there's... Conversations I've had with other students, and I have a certain mentality going into the rotations. If you listen to the podcast, you kind of, I think you have an idea of how I look at these rotations and how I approach them. And of course, sometimes I do have an attitude of, well, I'm not going to the OBGYN, so I'm not going to kill myself over the fact that I'm not, you know, like an OBGYN rotation, I didn't get to go into the hospital and see surgeries. And while I was disappointed, like, it's not going to be the end of the world. I'm not going to be an OBGYN, so... You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to really dwell on that for too long. I'm going to move on because I have a different goal I'm working towards. But I think generally speaking, anyone who listens to the podcast knows that I tend to try to get as much as I can out of every rotation. And leave as good of an impression as possible. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, 
a lot of reasons for doing. Some of it is very personal. Like I take a lot of pride in how I, what I, whenever I do something, I want to do it well and I want to do it good, even if it's not something I'm going to be doing long term. I, I want the impression of me as somebody that, somebody that can be relied on, somebody that's going to work hard, and that's something I I do. It's part, it's just kind of part of who I am. So it's it's kind of hard to get past that kind of a personality bit. But it's also, I think, and I'm not, I don't want to say this in a way that people who have a different mentality are worse or they just have a different mentality. They just have a different way of approaching this. I just want to, I guess, justify what my approach is. I always want to get as much out of these rotations as possible. And I'm dancing around it. So here, here it is. People will go, I just want to be, let's say, a general surgeon. So I only care about my general surgery core rotation. I know what I want to do. It's not a question. I'm not getting a little taste of all the specialties and going to make up my mind before I get to step two. Like These are people who they know what they want. And that's great (laughs) because anyone listening knows I've been bouncing around between general surgery and I, I am. And that's not a great place to be. It's not a lot of fun. But sometimes the mentality is is that I, since I want to be a general surgeon, I really do not care about pediatrics. So I don't really care about family medicine. I don't really care about OBGYN. All I care about is general surgery. And so I'm going to work really hard in general surgery. I'm going to get a good score. And th- that's, you know, I'm going to impress my preceptors in general surgery. And then when I go into pediatrics, OBGYN, I'm going to do a good job. Like I'm not going to do bad, but I'm just not going to try as hard. Like I'll pass the shelf and I'll do good on the shelf. I would, but the mentality kind of is I would much rather be studying for my shelf exam than being in the clinic. And that's kind of a, that's where my segue kind of comes from is maybe I don't want to be a hospitalist. I don't know. Maybe me. Yes or no. But that's just one experience today. I saw a preceptor do something that was incredible that I don't think if I was dropped into that situation, I would have known exactly how to get how he, where he got and how he approached the problem. But now I have seen it. So it's something I can put in my tool bag. And if I see it again, I can use it or I can, I can use something different. Like, but I've seen it before. So I know like how he got there. I kind of, it's something that's not going to be novel. I'm not going to be inventing the wheel essentially when I'm surprised by a situation like that. So it's good to see. And it's something that's applicable to, uh, I think in a lot of places in medicine and because he was a hospitalist, he wasn't psych. <laughs> he was in hospital. He was in the hospital. Like he was, so he dealt with a psych patient in a very good way, but he wasn't a psych doctor. So if you just, again, blew off, internal medicine because you want to be a psych doctor you might have missed this really great opportunity and it's the same thing for all you know also different medicine like you know in surgery you could have had you could have seen this really cool interaction between the surgeon and the patient that how the surgeon handled it that you could use later on it, you can add these things to your tool belt and you're going to have 20 to 30 years in your specialty you're going like, to you're going to go and you're going to go into surgery or internal medicine, you're going to have a long career, hopefully a very long career and successful career. But you only get to do this once. You only get to be in family medicine core rotation once. Unless you do an elective, I guess. But 
So you, I don't know, in my opinion, like take advantage of this opportunity. You're paying for it for one. <laughs> and like, these are experiences. Like you can go, it's just like, you want to go to the Six Flags and get a really cool experience doing that. You want to go mountain climbing, you get a really cool experience doing that. Like there's not so many, like we don't, there's not many people who get this great opportunity to be a fly on the wall and patients most vulnerable times. And we get to see it like every day. And so, well, and too, when in most specialties or whatnot, like you choose what you're going to do, and that's what you do. There's no jumping around from specialty to specialty once you have completed your education. Well, completed is a loose term. You'd have to do continue ed, but yeah. Um, but but in that sense, like you have a, I think maybe a better respect and appreciation for what your peers are doing. In order, like, if they're referring people to you and you're referring people to them, like... You might understand the mentality of those. Like, if you're... You have a nephrologist that you have to associate with, you're like, oh, man, these nephrologists. Like, but you work with them, so you kind of have an appreciation for what they're looking at and what they're looking for. And so you can work more in tandem with them as opposed to uh, in opposition or... Yeah, because, I mean, we've all worked in jobs where, like... Well, they don't know what I do, so they like uh, they don't understand why it can't be done yesterday. It's because I have to do this, 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 and this, and this, and everything being uh, segmented, right? And in medicine, it, everything is segmented. I mean, for a good siloed, yeah. yeah, for a good reason. But at the same time, it 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 is beneficial to kind of have a jumping off point where you kind of understand the parameters of or the scope of each practice and that will change a little bit depending on where you are i mean if you're rural family med does a whole lot more than if you're in a big city right if you're in a big city you maybe you're just seeing the patients and referring them to specialists to do injections where if you're rural you're you might even go as far as to be doing surgeries you know like i I think some family medicine doctors do a whole lot in the rural field and they do you know maybe a little bit less in the in the city because they don't have to do as much yeah, I think it's it's about getting the appreciation. And again, I guess my point is that you only get one shot at this. You know, in medical school, you, this is the opportunity you have to to see these things and experience these things. And then it's not exactly like jumping out of a plane and skydiving kind of experience, but it is still, you get to be present for patients. I mean, honestly, like sometimes the, the worst times of their life. And that's hard. That's hard on, I think, positions it's hard on patients but um i think it's good to get a lot of exposure to these things because it makes you a better doctor again it's something you've seen and experienced it's not new to you and you can figure out how to work with it and truth be told when you get to your electives you can hone in on what you want to do and you can just do all the electives and what you want to do if if that's what you want to do but um obviously we are we are advocating for trying to make the most out of each core rotation that you can um and to put forth the effort so that you do get those good notes because that does become yeah. part of your I mean, um, that's application a, for that's residency. Like another, that's another segment. There's a lot of good, I think, great reasons to get a you know get as much as you want. Get like a big gulp of your your rotation. You know, don't don't settle for the the 16 ounce. Get a big gulp kind of thing, kind of mentality. And there's a lot of a lot of reasons to do that. And I, I'm just trying to hone in on like this is. You're one shot to do it. Like you don't. When when is this gonna? When is this opportunity gonna come by again? Uh, but like Karen said, 
you know, you're gonna you want to impress preceptors, so they're gonna write stuff that's gonna end up in your MSP uh, MSPE, and I apologize if I got the acronym wrong, but it's gonna end <laughs> up in this letter that goes to these residency programs. And I don't know, maybe the, maybe residency programs don't read the letter carefully or whatever. But again, I, I we're coming from a school, coming from a background that's a little bit more. I don't want to say disadvantaged, but we have non-traditional. A, non-traditional. It's a steeper slope. You gotta. You're kind of fighting a little bit uphill. Again, you want to stack everything in your favor. You just don't want to. You don't want to leave anything on the table. And again, that's another reason to just try your best. And frankly, like other schools don't do online segments. So the idea that you, you should just have like six weeks of online psych or whatever it is and pass your shelf and move on. And that should, that should be sufficient to count as a, a core rotation is kind of laughable. Um, especially when you have other schools doing like, you know, four weeks, or you know, all in person, <laughs> you know, no, no online time. So like online is great and it helps you get past those shelves, but like you do have, I think some advantages to, there's definitely some solid advantages to being in person. Anyway, we are starting to go a little long. Um, I think we're going to probably just wrap it up. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram, MadFamilyMD. Feel free to ask us questions through there or, yeah, through there. <laughs> <laughs> the message will get to me, but I will get it to Eric if needed. And then, um, of course, you can follow subscribe to any of our, po- our podcasts listen to we fixed it so you can listen to the more earlier episodes uh if you want <laughs> uh you can find us on itunes spotify um amazon whatever i think most of all the major podcasting platforms we are there so if you want to follow us on those that's great and if you want to rate us on i think spotify now has a rating system uh but itunes as well that'd be great as well it helps us get a little bit more reach i suppose Uh, (laughs) anyway that's uh it for this week and we will talk to you next week bye